gather around the lamp and Aston Villa podcast. If at first you don't succeed, come back next year and try again. Aston Villa celebrates the pleasure of promotion to the Premier League. Well, as soon as Jack Grealish was made captain, the script was written. Him lifting the Championship trophy, getting his boyhood club to the Premier League. He will always be Aston Villa's Jack Grealish. Hello and welcome back to the Gather Around the Lamp podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. As always, I'm your host, Regan. You can find me on Twitter at FindFoy. And I'm joined, as always, by Mark. Hello, everybody. It's Mark Jarebi here. You can find me at Twitter at VillamarkPGH. Pretty excited for this podcast, man. I mean, there's there's a lot going on with the Tottenham game and whatnot, but it just, it just feels right to finally have like a first Premier League podcast. Yeah, you know, it, it, we've been working so hard across the summer, um, especially with written and podcast content, uh, as well as the magazine. Um, but it's nice for it to finally, I guess, like culminate with the, the season starting. You know, things have calmed down a little bit. Yeah, they calmed down a little bit. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm just so even the Tottenham game, like even with the result, like it was just so cool to see us in that kind of atmosphere that big new stadium i mean everyone's gonna have their opinions about how the game went and whatnot but ah, it's just it's felt like magical to me i don't know i'm probably in the minority there it's just you know it's where villa's supposed to be at the end of the day and whatnot but i just felt so so happy like watching them on nbc and whatnot yeah i mean especially early on into the game um villa looked like they were really up for the fight you know, obviously there was the the issues like twelve seconds into the game where uh, Elmo lost the ball and Spurs had an early chance. But um, you know, the, the first half was I thought Villa were the strongest side. You know, even though um, even though Spurs were kind of dominating the possession, um, you know, Pochettino said himself that his team looked confused, and I, I can agree with that. You know, it, it looked like Villa were cruising towards a shock a shock win on the on the opening day uh, before before the second half started I can completely agree with that and uh yeah Potichino hearing him say that his team looked confused was definitely pretty accurate um yeah Villa just looked up for it and it almost looked like Spurs weren't expecting Villa to play that way and I know that you know luck is in the scouting and a lock is in the looking at your opposition you can only play who you're lined up against but if anyone at Spurs really looked at the way Villa played through the championship last year like they had to know what was coming in some sort of way but it just looked like the players on the pitch didn't um the early goal was immaculate you can't say anything more to it I mean that, that ball for Mings to find, you know, John McGinn in some space and then John McGinn to have the presence of mind to, to, to score the goal. Uh, man, I I wasn't even there. Like, I was, I, was, I was at a wedding, you know, basically. Like, I was getting ready for a wedding at the time and I'm standing there in the hotel room and I'm, I'm watching the game and, you know, I, I see Mings ping the ball and, mind you, I'm around a bunch, maybe, uh, I think, three out of the six in the wedding party I've never met before. So I'm standing there with my arms crossed, like, full attention watching the game and uh, I... So many swear words came out of my mouth, and that ball hits the back of the net, Regan. I can't even explain it. <laughs> well, I was uh, I was on a little getaway with my um, with my girlfriend at the time, and she she kind of knew how important it was to me. I said that I was going to miss the game, um, but she kind of knew how important it was to me, and she was like, "Right, we could put it on the radio until we get back to the uh, the uh, apartment where we were." And um, we got back and I was watching it on my phone um, and you know for you know 65 minutes of the game I was sat there thinking this is going quite well you know we're defending a lot better than I expected us to um, and then obviously 
things changed. Um, you know, for, for 65 minutes, um, Villa absorbed pretty much everything that Spurs threw at them. And it really was the uh, arrival of Christian Eriksen at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium that, that changed things. Yeah, it's, you know, Spurs have a lot of talent. And I know a lot of Villa supporters, that they look at Spurs, you know, with a little bit of a jaded attitude. Um, don't like Spurs. You know, they are considered a big club now. You have to respect that. You have to respect the fact that they have really talented world-class players. Um, that's something I've been telling Villa supporters that may have reached out to me through DMs or other Villa supporters I know over here in Pittsburgh. Um I had to explain to them that, you know, when, when a player like Christian Eriksen enters the field of play, things are naturally going to change. He is a world-class player. Um, there was rumors of him going to Real Madrid earlier on in the window. Um, just think about that for a second. You're not going to have Christian Eriksen coming off of the bench every single week. And, you know, I, it sounds like a very, very simple thing, but I feel like Villa supporters need reminded of that. He changed the entire landscape of that game. There was nothing Villa could do about it. That's just the way it is. I know that that sounds really baseline and streamlined and to the point because it is streamlined and to the point. Christian Eriksen's world class. I would love to have him on my team any day of the week, but it's just a shame that he came off the bench and maybe looking, you know, a little bit of a point to prove that, you know, other teams, you know, maybe need to splash the cash a little bit for him to make a new start somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, like, the the thing for me as well is I, I described it to, to people that... um didn't watch the game as uh, Villa were like a, a vase, and for the vast majority of the game, this this vase was you know taking a battering, and and uh, you know the, the fatigue was beginning to show like hairline fractures on it, and then you know the 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 uh, the pressure got too much inside the vase, and these fractures cracked open a little wider, and that was Tango and Dombele's goal. Um, you know, it took it took a couple of deflections, I believe. It definitely took one on its way into the net. Um, and once that was open, you know, the water started trickling out. And uh, f- for the next, you know, two goals, it was just, you know, the, you know, the, the pressure building up inside that, that literally the, the vase couldn't handle it uh, anymore, as it were. And I, I I completely agree with that. That's that's a really good. Um really good picture to, to paint as far as like a, a vase and the, you know the water trickling out of it that's good rig i like that a lot yeah i mean like because you, you know it, it's something that that you know that it had held strong for so long but like anything you know if, if you batter it enough it, it's gonna break and that's what happened to villa um but the, the, you know there was luck involved as well you know that the luck of the deflection from Ndombele strike and the luck of the uh the rebound off tyrone mings's i think it was his ankle um, and it fell directly to Harry Kane, right in front of goal. Like that, you. I don't think you could get more luckier than that. You know, some people might turn around and say, "Oh, you know, that's just Harry Kane being, you know, the the, the world class uh, world class striker that he is. You know, he knows where to be and and where to be." Um, and I think really it was it was blind luck. I think it was blind luck too. And leading up to that Kane goal, I mean. Jack Grealish didn't do much to get that ball out of his own half. And I know a lot of people don't like when Jack gets criticized. He needs criticized on that. Ball fell to his feet. He had a couple yards to get forward, and he, he tried to hold the ball up. I can't remember who the Spurs player was, but he came from behind him and just picked his pocket, turned around, and all of a sudden, you know, that ball gets deflected off Tyrone. It falls behind to 
uh, Harry Kane. I believe it was uh, Eric Lamella. It was Eric Lamella. You're right. Um, and then, then fall, falls to Kane, and I can name off the top of my head a hundred strikers. I'd rather have that innocent, innocent deflection fall to. Harry Kane's not going to be one of them. He's going to put that away every single time. An- another world-class talent at Spurs. Everybody knows that he's a household name, not over in England, in the States as well. People people are very, very well aware who very who Harry Kane is over here. Um, you know, it is, it is a little gut-wrenching losing a game in that fashion so late in the game. Um, I, I would have been absolutely elated with a 1-1 draw. Um, but these things happen. This, this is all learning curves. Uh, again, talking to a couple people over here, I would rather face Spurs the first game and lose that game in the fashion that we did than, let's say, win 4-0 against Southampton. Just as an example, I, I feel Villa need this learning curve. I feel Villa need this trial by fire, this baptism by fire. I think they need it, and I think it's going to make them better. It's all going to be a learning experience, and, and don't think for a second that it's going to get any easier past this. You know, it's one game. You, know, you don't want to model opinions of players and you don't want to you know say that this didn't work and that didn't work for whatever reasons but at the same point in time like Villa need to learn this is a collection of players albeit most of them very new players you know playing with each other you have to have these kind of games and it is a kick in the teeth is a little gut-wrenching I I didn't see enough that made me think like oh shit we're going down nothing like that I was quite impressed with Bjorn Engels and Tyro Mings, and obviously we we coined them Mingles a couple of weeks ago. Um, but they between them they were they were emphatic. You know, it was thirty one interceptions I believe they made between themselves. And I mean, like you know, that's impressive as it is. But I'm pretty sure Tyro Mings made twenty two of those himself. Yeah, it's a real statistic. Twenty two for Tyro Mings as far as interceptions went. You can't say enough about the game he had. Uh, I think that it's only positive going forward. If that's the bog standard of Tyrone Mings going forward, I'll take it every week. Grand, he's going to have a misstep here and there. Um, but yeah, Mingles is looking great, man. Ingles and Mings together, they're looking really, really good. Um, even though, again, it's just the first game. But they look comfortable with each other, you know? And even on the McGinn goal, like it's it's Tyrone Mings stepping up and pinging the ball forward, and Bjorn Ingles is probably about, I think it's 10 yards to the right of him and behind him, just a little ways. And that's... I mean, to me, that's the number one center back pairing. I think it's going to take any center back, you know, a lot to try and snatch the shirt off the backs of, of those two gentlemen. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I think the defense played well, even with the crazy amount of possession Spurs had, even with the crazy amount of shots on goal, the attempts, all that chances created. You can throw all that into the same bag. I still think the defense held solid. I really do. Yeah, and I mean, something that I want to, I want to pick up on is. Um, the kind of possession statistics from the game. Um, you know, Villa aren't going to get dominated in terms of possession like they did by Spurs. Um, Spurs had just under 70% possession, I believe. And, you know, obviously that leaves Villa with the remaining 30 or so percent. Um, and at, at face value, I, I've, wrote, I've wrote an article about this. At face value, um, 30% possession is poor. Um, and you know, the, Villa made the least amount of passes across the entire Premier League last weekend. But then you look at things a little bit deeper, and you'll see that um, Aston Villa made the fourth highest most key passes um, in the league, behind the likes of you know, I think it was like Liverpool and Man City who obviously scored uh, nine goals between the two of them, and it. You know, you, you take positives from poor stats sometimes, and 
even though Villa didn't really make many passes um, and they didn't have much of the ball, it's what they did with the ball when they had it that was encouraging. Um, and, you know, you, you've got to take into perspective that, again, they did bad things with the ball. Um, you know, Villa lost 56% of their wayward passes in their own third of the pitch, which is something that they need to improve on. So it it's one of those things of... Um, delving deeper than you know the, the base statistics that you might find on on bbc sport yeah you're totally right i mean it's you know you can take numbers at face value all you want and you really have to look at how those numbers came to be uh, another thing about spurs you know seven of their eight counterattacks, their eight confirmed counterattacks throughout the game resulted in a shot on goal and not maybe a shot at heaton but it ended up with a, an open shot that they were able to get the ball towards the net um that's not going to happen every week i mean you, I, that, and that just shows how good spurs are like they, they really are a, a good team and this is going to happen against the, some of the upper echelon teams of the premier league you can't really do much to stop it you can prepare against it um you can have a game plan for how to make it not happen not so often especially in in the terms of counterattacks. um i I don't know. It's just you're hearing all these negatives about it, but like I'm looking at it on the other side of the fence a little bit here. Where like these are positives. Like this is what you. This is kind of what Villa needed, and kind of I'm not going to say they wanted this to happen. Of course, they wanted to go there and beat Spurs and you know put three points on the board on opening day. But I I didn't. I mean, I called it in the last podcast. That I I really thought it would be a three-one final. I just didn't know which way it was going to fall. I think it could have easily happened for Villa just as, you know, how it happened for Spurs. I mean, you know, the late dramatics, it's never good, you know, but, you know, the away supporters showed, you know, unity within each other and support for the team. Even after that happened, the Villa fans are still singing loud and proud. And, you know, that's what you want to see. It's not like a couple of years ago where if, if Villa went, you know, blew a lead in the last three, four minutes of the game, it was all of a sudden, you know, booing or, you know, you're hearing stories about su- supporters having trouble, you know, leaving the ground or whatever, you know, things of that nature happen. But I, I think that with all the stats you're going to hear and all the breakdowns you're going to hear from various outlets, Villa played a pretty good game against a side that were Champions League finalists not so long ago. Yeah, um, there's something that I want to pick up on as well. Uh, I was doing a bit of research earlier before we um, before we came on here, and that there's one thing that that I don't think many people picked up on, and that's the fluidity of Spurs' tactics and formations. Um, for the entire 90 minutes, Villa stayed to a 4-1-4-1 formation for the entire 90. Um, and I can't quite remember which was uh, Spurs' preferred formation. Um, I think, off the top of my head, it was... Um, I think it was a 4-3-1-2. And they stuck to that for 40% of the game. Now, that's the longest that they used one formation, which means that they've swapped into you know, three or four possible formations, maybe even more throughout the game. Um, you know, and that fluidity caused Villa problems. And, you know, it, it's down to you to make the decision whether the fluidity of Spurs caused the problems or the rigidness of Villa caused the problems. Yeah, and that's that's how Spurs play. It's very fluid. They're passing is it's almost otherworldly it's almost as if they they don't even have to look up they can look right down at that ball make a run get around a defender and not even look to see where the other man's at and they're going to find someone else um that's not something to be jealous of that's something to be hopeful for if you're an Aston Villa supporter you would hope that the passing gets a little bit more crisp um that's one of my biggest 
uh, cons about the game against Tottenham. That that passing's got to get cleaned up, and it doesn't matter who it's getting cleaned up from. It doesn't matter what work they have to put in. Uh, Villa's going to have to get a little bit more crisp on their passes. They're going to have to show a little bit more on the ball once they get once they receive those passes. And it wasn't just one player. I'm not sig- signaling out anybody. I think that all, all around the way. They just need to crisp up those passes just a little bit more for me. It doesn't have to be – it wasn't dreadful by any means, but it definitely needs a little bit of work. Again, first game, and there's going to be some growing pains, but um, that was the big takeaway for me. If there was an area of the pitch that I think Villa really, really needed to be a little bit more demanding, it was passing. Uh, it, it'll get better. I mean, they're, they're, it's, a, it's a whole different speed in the Premier League, especially when you're facing a team such as Spurs who knock the ball around the park with ease, and sometimes it just it just seems automatic. It's almost robotic in the way that they're able to do it. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think that that's something where, again, Villa supporters don't need to be jealous of as far as maybe that's, what, that's how Villa will get. And I'm not saying it's going to happen at this season at any point, but... You know, if if things keep going on this incline that we're all hopeful for, you're going to see Aston Villa start to play almost the same way as Spurs. Maybe, you know, not to the fact of, you know, Spurs are just very good on the counterattack. And Dean Smith, you know, obviously he's talked ad nauseum about he wants to be very good on the counterattack. But just getting those those balls in certain areas of the pitch and being able to find a man, you know, with regularity, that, that it's going to happen. It's, it's just going to take a little bit of time, especially with the new league that we're in. Yeah, and I mean... You know, with the new ling, uh, new ling, new league, um, people expected new players to to make appearances, and uh, the inclusion of Ahmed El Mohamedi and uh, Neil Taylor uh, caused a few, probably more than a few, to be honest, Aston Villa supporters to scratch their heads um, and ask the questions of why on on Saturday. Um, you know, do, do you feel that the decision? Was right? Do you think it was the right call to to start? You know, they they've both got experience in the Premier League. They both had a hand in getting us promoted. Was it the right call, or would you have rather have seen Target and Gilbert? My knee jerk reaction when I brought up the team sheet was, "What the hell is he doing?" I'll be totally honest about that. Um, after putting the phone back in my pocket again, I was so so busy on Saturday. I had so much going on. Every with the you know being in a, at a wedding party for one of my very best friends. Um, I just, there was so much to do and so much that, you know, places I had to be, different people I had to talk to, things of that nature. But after putting the phone down and, you know, having to, uh, having to think about it while I'm doing those things, I think it's the right call. I, I'll, I'll still stand firm on that, that I do think it's the right call. Like you said, they both have Premier League experience. Um, El Mohamedy, it was pretty solid on his right-hand side of the pitch. He didn't really make any glaring errors. Uh, Neil Taylor looked like he was just in total shutdown defense mode from what I saw. And I did watch the game back before anybody was like, oh, you didn't even get to watch the game. I've, I've watched the game back three times. I promise you I've actually gotten to see it and done a lot of stat digging on it. Um, but, yeah, Neil Taylor was in total defense mode. El Mohamedy was trying to get the ball up the right-hand side of the flank, but it didn't really work too, too well. When he would cut inside when he got the ball, it, it looked all right. But again, the the um the entire defense, you know, it was a very bend don't break um showing. Not that that was the mentality, but that's what they showed. Um, I still think they performed well against Spurs, and I think if they can keep that kind of you know uh, solidity of their defense, I, I I think that that's what you want to look for, especially going up against um maybe some teams that aren't as offensively gifted as Spurs are going to be. I mean, what what did you think? Did you think that w- that was the right call? Well, I, I think in essence, yeah, you know. Yeah, you've got to give them a reason to be dropped, other than oh, we've signed two new players. You know what I mean? Like it, it needs to be, you know, okay, tails. You've had an awful game. It's time to bring Matty Target in. 
or the same for Al Muhammadi with Gilbert. You can't just turn around and say, oh, you've got to promote it, thank you very much, you're going to get cup games and maybe a few games if someone gets injured. You know, that's not fair and that's how you cause unrest in the team. Um, but something something that I want to say is that defensively, they were both pretty impressive. Um, you know, the, the, I think they both were two of the highest uh, passing accuracies and to be fair, two of the highest passes attempted um, in the in the Villa side. Um, but one thing that they both struggled to do was actually, um, you know, keep the ball when they were in possession of it. You know, they're, they're obviously they'd be making passes, but when they were trying to go on runs, they would get shut down so easily. Um, I think it was Elmo that had the most out of the two of them, but they, they were, they had the ball taken, he had the ball taken off him in some pretty precarious positions for uh, for Villa, one of which was right in front of the goal. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, like like I was just saying, talking about with Elmo, he was trying to get up the right-hand side of that pitch so, so badly. You can tell that he was almost trying to do what we saw um, him do last year with uh, Albert Adoma, where he would come up, pass it to Albert. Albert was a little bit on an inside position, then he would make the overlapping run, but he wouldn't even get the step one of trying to complete that. He would just c- get collapsed on. Um, that, another That's another thing about you know great teams in the Premier League is that it, for as good as they are offensively, they're even better defensively and they're very organized. So they know when to collapse on a player and they know what they almost like key in on players. They know they can get away with doing that. You see it with Liverpool, especially you see with Man City. That's the best def- that's the best defensive team in the entire league, hands down. Their, their defense is so organized. But Spurs is kind of starting to get to the same way where they're able to collapse on players and make them feel really, really uncomfortable while they're on the ball. I think we saw that with both Elmo and Taylor. Um, I, I, I don't know. You know, There's there's going to be decisions that are going to have to be made on the flanks, but I do agree with you that you can't just give up. Um, you can't just take players off, basically, just because you sign new players. Uh, it's it's. I think that in the case of Elmo and Taylor, I think that's their shirts to lose. And um, I'm not saying that they're going to be stand-ins. They're going to play 30, all 38 games, and we're going to bring on Matty Target and Gilbert on you know, whenever we need them. I'm, I'm sure rotation's going to happen. We've talked about it in previous podcasts. You're not going to have a standard stock 11. Um, I, I was happy with what they did against a side, a side like Spurs. I can understand a little bit of the negativity that surrounded that choice. But, um, you know, Dean, Dean Smith's a pretty honest man. And, it, you know, he seems like he's got his head on really, really straight. We all know that. So I think starting Oman and Taylor against Spurs had to happen for their experience, for what they contributed last year. You can't, you know, create unrest in your locker room on the first game because you're starting all new players. You know, there had to be there had to be some familiarity there. And, you know, Elmo's and Taylor, they're both seasoned professionals. You know, that it seemed I, I caught, you know, watching the game back, I caught Taylor screaming at the top of his lungs four or five times at players even on simple things like throw-ins and like I love to see that kind of leadership that's that's just me though I'm, I'm an old world kind of sports fan where I want to see that passion bleed onto the pitch and if you can do that vocally that that speaks you know wonders but um yeah I don't, I don't think you're going to see some of these some of the new acquisitions just be given a spot just because yeah and I don't think that's going to be the case at all um you know and I think that's going to be similar with um with Conor Horan you know, um, we were we were treated to a pretty small sample size of uh, Douglas Luiz uh, against Spurs. I think he played around ten minutes, um, and you know, straight away people are saying, you know, Horahan should be dropped for Luiz. Um, Horahan, you know, deserved to be taken off. 
Hurhan was taken off because he was gassed. Um, and I think from what I've seen of both the game and delving into the stats post-game, that Hurhan had a pretty impressive game. Um, so I think it's going to be the same for him. I don't think he's just going to get dropped just because there's two new signings waiting to take his place. I think he will probably start the Bournemouth game. I'm in I'm in the same frame of mind as you. I think he has to start the Bournemouth game. He, he ran his socks off. He was all over the pitch try, trying to keep up with, with Spurs. And not even saying like keep up like in a negative way. Um, it, it was just like you can tell he wanted to contribute so bad. And you have to think about Connor Howerhane in terms of how he got to the Premier League. Um, there's a fire inside of that guy. And you, you could tell it was on display against Spurs. Uh, yeah, he never got into a position to bang in a free kick. Really, he never, you know, had a position to, you know, make one of those kind of uh, smart passes where he finds a late arrival at the edge of the box, and maybe they have a chance on net. But I, there's just something there, and you can tell. And it, it's it's starting to seem like he's one of those players that not only has the belief and the pride in himself, he has the pride and the belief in the shirt and the club. Uh, th- this is very important for him on a personal and a professional level to get to the Premier League. I think you have to keep him going again, Douglas Louise. We've heard we've heard it all that you know he he's a talent and things of that nature. We did get to see a very very small sample size, so I'm not going to judge him purely off that late in the game. But I, again, for Harhane, he's got a it's it, it's on him if he loses his spot. There will be squad rotation. There's no two ways about it. Louis will probably move into that spot, um, especially you know with playing a four one four one formation. That that's Louis's bread and butter. He that's where he plays and he he's excelled there all the stats and all, all the video that I've seen on him. Um, but yeah, I don't think that Louise gets the start over Connor um, on Saturday against against the Cherries. I just don't see it happening. No, I don't, you know, what we saw of Louise was impressive. You know, for, he, he didn't really have much of an impact in the game. But, you know, I think he I think he made some like five passes and all five of them found a Villa player. And I think he was involved in like four duels and he came out on top in all four of them. Um but you know, other than that, it was it was pretty impressive um, display from Horahan. It was pretty impressive display of what we saw from Louise. But yeah, as we've said, I think that well, we both think that Horahan will start at Bournemouth. And obviously, as everyone's now aware, Bournemouth is the next fixture, and it's at Villa Park. Um, they had an interesting opening day. Uh, they drew against uh, fellow new arrivals in the uh, in the Premier League, Sheffield United. You know, it was a pretty uh, end-to-end game, and the Blades snatched um, the three points from the clutches of Bournemouth to take home an equal spilling of one point each. Yeah, I got to actually watch the uh, Bournemouth-Sheffield United game. I uh, actually watched it a few hours before we're recording this right now. Um, not not a bad showing by Bournemouth, many means. You can tell that they're still a little shaky in the midfield to into the attacking areas. Um you know, Eddie Howe has has that team playing all sorts of different ways, but it seems like they're going to play with, with uh, three center backs, two wing backs. They, they kind of try to collapse the play to the middle of the field and then spring it out wide, kind of like how Villa attempted to do so many times last year in the championship. Uh, I don't think that Bournemouth are ready to face a Villa team who might have a little bit of a thorn in their side over how they lost the game against Spurs. Um, Bournemouth will, will be... They will find out very quickly they're not playing, you know, Sheffield United. 
It's going to happen. And that's no knock on Sheffield whatsoever, but they're going to find, I, I really do feel they're going to find out very quickly that it's a little bit of different gravy with the players that Villa has at their sp- disposal compared to what's going on at Sheffield United. The Blades are a really good team. We saw what they can do in the championship last year. Very, very, they'll be one, they'll be a very entertaining team to watch the entire season in the Premier League just to see how they go about things. Um, but, you know, Bournemouth last year, they, they split games with every promoted side. They split games with Cardiff, Fulham, and Wolves. Um, so there's definitely, you know, a chance there for Villa to snatch three points, get the first three points on the board. I'm incredibly optimistic about this game, and it's no disrespect to Bournemouth. They do have a lot of good players on their side. Um, Nathan Ake, I love watching him play. He, he's very young center back for Bournemouth. He's really, really talented. It's it's no secret anymore that he's talented. Um, yeah, he can he, he does well against you know big bodied strikers. He does well about the, against the little man strikers. Um, he, he keeps the defense collected. He's very vocal too. You'll you'll see him you know whipping his head around and telling guys to get where they need to be. Um, I, do you do you feel any differently? Do you think this is going to be a um, you know a, t- a tough game for Villa, or do you think this is going to be more our speed? It's going to be you know our tactics are really going to show through. I think it's going to be a tough game. I think you know every game in this league's tough. Um, I don't really want to sound like Steve Bruce, but I'm going to end up doing so. You know, every every game in in whatever league you're in is tough. Um, you know, just because you know Manchester City walk over West Ham five nil doesn't mean it's not a tough game. You know what I mean? Um, but I want to. I want. I'm, I'm going to say that it's it's going to be a two one win to Villa, but it's going to be a hard two one win. Uh, and I'm going to I'm going to pick. I'm going to pick Jack and Engels to score. What, what about you, Mark? I don't think it's going to be a walk in the park for Villa. I, I just, I'm very optimistic of the fact that I just think that there's going to be a little bit of a chip on the shoulder with with the Villa players, and they're going to want to put, you know, put it right to the supporters, make it known that they're here, and they're they're going to try their very very best to, you know, get wins in this league. And you got to scrape them by. You know, it's, it's 38 games. It's not like in the championship. You know where there, there's all these extra kind of crazy games. You're playing three times in a week, you know, and things of that nature. Um, I I think it's going to be a three no win though. Um, I I just don't think Bournemouth, Bournemouth didn't show anything to me against Sheffield United. They made me go, hmm, Villa's going to have trouble with that. There isn't a facet of their game that really is like above head and shoulders. What I think Villa might be able to either stop or be able to feed upon and and find a way to get you know balls in the back of the net. Um, I, I I feel like it's going to be a three nil. I don't know why. I'm thinking Wesley gets off the mark. Um, would love to see a Grealish goal. I just think that he's he's um, I think he's going to be more about about the passing this season than he's going to be about the scoring. I think we got a little spoiled, you know, the past couple seasons with him putting balls in the back of the net. So yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be three nil, and it's it's not even via demolition. I think it's just going to be Villa, you know, using what they have at their disposal, the talent. Uh, I think they want to put a foot right. It's just my opinion. I'm not. I don't know. It's, it, again, like you said, every game in this league's hard. It's the Premier League. We're not not in the Championship. We're not going away to Rotherham anymore. Uh, you know, the Cherries are a good team and they're solid. You know, they have they have their own players up and down the pitch that that can do things and change the course of a game. You know, on their day. But I, I think with Villa, it's just there's so much emotion there, and it's going to be. You're coming to Villa Park, back in the Premier League where Villa Villa belongs. You know, I've I've talked to so many supporters from that support different clubs that say it just feels right, and they love seeing you know the AVL come across the bottom ticker over here in the states, and it just feels right, and it's a feel good story. So let, let's let's kick it off at Villa Park with a win. I, I think it's going to happen. Me too. Although I don't think it'll be a three nil. Um, you know, in as well as uh, obviously the uh, the Bournemouth 
game on Saturday and um, the other games in August. There's been another one added as uh, Villa were drawn against Crew Alexandra away in the Carabao Cup second round. Um, that's slated to be the week commencing of August 26th. Um, do you think this is an opportunity for, for people that might not have played by them, like perhaps Marvellous Nakamba, uh, Ezra Concer, Courtney Horse? Um, do, you, do you think that's a chance for them to play, or do you think he'll give you know people like, I don't know, uh, if Callum O'Hare's still at the club, someone like that a chance to play instead? I think maybe some of the, you'll see some of these signings. I could see Callum O'Hare coming on off the bench, I'm not saying that he's going to rip McGinn and Grealish out of the midfield. I think you pretty much run them as, as much as you can. Um, but I, I do think Marvelous Nakambo will get a start there. I think Ezra Conso will come into play. Um, you know, I can see you know a player like Matt Target getting getting game time. You know, these, these guys have to play at some point in time. You know, so if you're going to use the Carabao Cup and then eventually the FA Cup for games to do that earlier on in the early rounds, you could do that. I'm not going to sit here and lie to everybody and say that I know a ton about Crew Alexandria. I don't. I don't. I don't. I, I probably know less than nothing about them, to be honest. I just think that if you know, if going in for a second round draw for a Carabao Cup, it's going to be played on an, in the midweek. I'm guessing. Um, so, you know, I I wouldn't even be surprised if, if you see Jonathan Codge or, or Keenan Davis leading the line and you know leave Wesley on the bench and you know put him on if you need to or if the game's going that way. Uh, I, do you see any kind of rotation? Do you think we're going to see, you know, some some of these newer signings, or, or do you think it's going to be maybe he gives a little bit of shot to the youth that remains? I think it'll be a mixture of the two. I think we'll see, you know, the likes of. Uh, it'll be players that won't have really featured. So, you know, as an example, if Nakamba hasn't um, appeared yet, he'll get a full ninety minutes and things like that. Um, but you know, crew should be by no by no means underestimated. Um, even if they are a League Two side, you know, we we were knocked out of the cup by Burton last year, and we underestimated them. So. You know, it'll be it'll be a test. It won't be that tough of a test, and hopefully we can come away with a win. But it'll be a, it'll be good to get some players with ninety minutes under their belt in a competitive fixture. Um, Aston Villa women are starting their season on Sunday, uh, coming off the back of a five 0 demolition of Nottingham Forest in their final pre season game. Um, they've been unbeaten in their uh, pre season games so far. And uh, Melissa Johnson, uh, the new signing from Leicester City Women, is looking absolutely on fire. You know, she could be one for signing of the season if she continues this goal-scoring form. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at the most in Melissa Johnson. Her her form's been outrageous. Like you said, you know, three or four preseason contests, and she's. I it looks like she's going to kick on. You know, and the, you know the women in the preseason they've scored 14 goals in preseason. That's you know that's really outrageous and like you said they're going against Sheffield United and the uh, FA Women's Championship um I, I just it's almost like the same thing as the men you know the women's side had eight eight new signings um you know we we love everything they've done this season that you know they got some financial backing Christian Perslow talks high about it you know this team's looking to get promoted this year um so I mean what what, what are you looking forward to against Sheffield do you think they pull this out Sheffield United women's team is not a bad team by any by any stretch of the imagination no, and I'm pretty sure uh, the Villa, the Villa women played against them at least five times last season. Um, you know, they they played uh, twice in the league. I think they played them in the Conti Cup. Uh, I think they played them in the FA Cup. Um, I think I'm probably most looking forward to seeing a strong defensive display. Um, 
you know, I, I think that, that Villa can probably uh, come away from this with a 2-3-0 two, two, lead. Um, you know, the, the the opening game of last season was against Manchester United and I, I can't even remember what their final score was. I think it was like 12-0 to Manchester United women, but obviously they were a full-time professional side. Um, it'll, re- it'll be really nice to hopefully kick this season off with a win for the Villa ladies and a strong win at that. I think the same thing. I think they're going to hit the ground running. I think uh, head coach Gemma Davies is definitely going to have these girls ready to go. And, and she's really good. Not even a statement of intent. And I'm not saying that, you know, the, the Villa women are going to go out there and, and they're going to fill the back of the net. But just have a, a nice, you know, contrite game to where everything, you know, your formation's right. You know, defending is right. You know, get get some, you know, some nice chances off set pieces, things of that nature. I, I think this team has what it takes. I, like I said, I think it was uh, you know three or four podcasts ago we talked about you know they're making signings after signings. They had three in one day this past summer, bringing in some really really talented players, really really talented athletes. You know I think they'll be there you know or around the corner of getting to promotion. But I think Gemma Dam- Davies has just really really grown into that head coach role, and I think she's doing such a really good job with um you know just just a group you know, solidifying themselves and actually have actually being able to make a, an actual go of trying to get promotion. Um, the Sheffield test is a really, really good test off the bat. Um, you know, I, I, I'm excited. They, uh, the Villa women uh, Twitter page, you know, talked about how, you know, people can watch games and stuff this season. So, you know, I'll actually have a really, really good chance of catching a couple of those games. They're a little off my work schedule a little bit. So I'll be kind of relying on you and the, you know, Villa women Twitter to keep me in the loop a little bit. But um, yeah, I'm excited, and I think I think it's just like the men's team that you have all these new players coming in. It's exciting time for Aston Villa, so you know let let's get it on both fronts for the men and the women's game. Yeah, and something that we're going to be trying to do this this season is uh, increase the interest in in the women's game, especially within the within you know the the fan content community. Um, we'll be providing content from every home game. You know that'll be match reports. Uh, exclusive interviews, things like that, and we're going to try real hard to to get more people behind the women's team. Um, if you are a men's season holder, a season ticket holder, sorry, I believe that you can get a free, uh, either one free entry or every game free entry. I'm not entirely sure. You'll have to check that on the website. Um, but you know, it, it is a smart idea to you know make the most of that especially if you know you've got a young daughter um who's interested in football who joins you at villa park because you might inspire her to go and you know pick up a ball and become you know the future jody hutton the future um jade richards the future charlotte greengrass you know you 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 never know so that's something we're going to be trying to do this season um We've got a couple of questions, I think, Mark, probably to to round this up with uh, from Twitter. Oh, you know me, I love some questions. Uh, so we had we had, we just put it out on our socials and, and on the Under a Gaslit Lamp Twitter page, you know, getting some questions in. We had we had some resounding responses. I love it. Um, we actually got one from our buddy Deck uh, at Twitter at Kingsy AVFC. Name your current Villa Five aside team. I'll let you go first on this one, Regan. I'm curious about this one. Oh dear. Um, See, I already know yours, so I'm going to try and avoid the players that you've picked. Um, I'm going to go Oya Nealand in goal. I'm going to go Gilbert McGinn. Um, Lansbury. 
How many have I got? How many is that? <laughs> that's four. That's four. So yep. I've got one more. Uh, and Keenan Davis. Man, that's that's an interesting one. I like that one. That, that, the, oh. the the outcasts. Yeah, basically, it's like the outcasts. I went with um, steering goal. I want someone in there who has the passion and the pride, and, and you know had a little bit of tumultuous time getting to where he is. I'm coming next with Tyrone Mings and Bjorn Engels. I feel like Mings can push up in the center and kind of wreak a little bit of havoc with Engels hanging back a little bit. Uh, then uh, John McGinn, just because John McGinn on a five-a-side pitch. Are you serious? And then, um, you know, Wes, Big Wesley up top. If McGinn can get that ball off somebody and just put it to the feet of Wes, I, I think his strength will put it in. As you can tell, I might have put a little bit more thought into this question than most people would. But, you know, hey, it's just over-analytical mind. <laughs> That and having more time to uh, to think about it. Right. Um, another question that we've had is um, from Preston, uh, Preston Petrie, a good friend of, of ours. Um, and he's been asking this around quite a bit, apparently. Uh, do you think that this Aston Villa side easily rolls over any of the last three Villa EPL teams from 2013 to 2016? Do you mind if I ask you for your answer first? <laughs> um, I don't think easily by any any means. Um, you know, the, the season we went down, we were pathetic. But, you know, the, the seasons before that, we still had a bit of fight about us. Um, you know, and Ben Teke, you know, he was in his prime villa. Um, and, you know, the, we, we beat sides like Spurs. We beat sides like City. And... It was because of you know individual moments of um, I don't I don't know what the word is just in, individual special moments, and they would be coming from Benteke or Delph or God knows who, but I wouldn't say we would easily roll over any of the sides because, especially under under Paul Lambert or or Tim Sherwood. You know, a Villa side had a real chance of nicking something uh, from under the nose of of a bigger or better side. I love that answer. It's 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 very contrite. Uh, for me, I'm not going one way or the other. To be honest, um, I think the team in '16 was bad, <laughs> and I just don't think we've had enough to see of the team we currently have right now to pass that judgment. I think they would beat the 2016 team I, without question. Um, you know, and. I don't know. Like, can you imagine John McGinn going up against Tom Cleverley and Ashley Westwood? Can you imagine what would that that look like? So I, you know, I'm not sure. And I, you know, the pride of me is like, oh, we're such a better team and we're such a better club and a better space, more talented players. We would roll any of those teams drunk and full of chips and curry. I don't know if that's actually the case. You know, Paul Lambert had a very, you know, he had a way about shutting teams down, even with not having the most talented squad in the Premier League. So maybe a Paul Lambert side might give us a little bit of trouble, just how, how collected he would have his, you know, defense in the central parts of, of the pitch. Um, I, I'm not sure if they, you know, you brought up the, the Benteke thing and, you know, on it didn't even seem like on his day. Most of the time, Benteke would just have a, an individual spot of brilliance. And this, it was the same with Delph. It was the same with, you know, Tom Cleverly. You know, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, Kieran Richardson was, was a marvel with his time at Villa by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, I, th- I think it would be an interesting game. I, I think the relegation season team, I, I think that my local USL team over here in the States, the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, would have beaten that team. And I, I can say that with pure honesty. 
And I, w- I wouldn't put that down to quality, though. You know what I mean? I think that, you know, the Ron Vlar interview that came out uh, in the past week through The Athletic, um, I think there was just a lack of want, a lack of personality, a lack of not being lazy and just earning a living. It was like 2016, we had a, an entire team of Charles and Zogbios. Yeah, I mean, I, I can agree with that. Because, like, if you think about that team, like, who are you turning to? You know, who are, who are you turning to to be that guy when you need a moment, you know, for a word, for a positive word, or, or looking someone just to lead by example, and, and you're looking around, okay, who's, who's my most experienced person here? Who can I look to, you know, to get insight on what I need to do? And you're looking back, and it's Jolene Lescott. You know, and I, it's, it's going to make it sound like I'm being rude. I am a little bit. But, you know, that's you're looking at him and Micah Richards. Like, that, that's the two guys. And, you know, it's, I, you know, Micah, you know, he came out with his apology. He, he knows how his career went for the Villa. He's not happy about it. Sure as how Villa fans aren't happy about it. But at least, like, he made an effort with Jolie and Lescott. He was just kind of just like, meh, yeah, I, I just took a lot of money here. Let me tweet a picture of my car. Still unbelievable to me. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still chewing sour <laughs> grapes about that years later. We've probably got time for two more questions. So uh, we've got one from uh, Patrick Doherty. Uh, his Twitter handle is uh, at PatrickZ2D. Uh, if by some miracle we got Europa League football, who would be your dream signing? Um, his is very unrealistic, but he's always had a soft spot for him, and that's Wilfred Zahar. And just just a question. I mean, I I would love Wilfred Zaha at, at the Villa. Don't get me wrong. And we're we're just talking about if we got Europa League football, and if by chance we got to that point, and who would you sign? Knowing me for as long as you have, Regan, who do you think that I would bring in? Uh, Valentin Rangier. Oh baby, on the nose, <laughs> Valentin Rangier at the Villa. I want it so bad. I mean, now we're a little heavy in midfield, so I doubt it. But yeah, that that would definitely be mine. Um, I'm not I'm not even saying he's Europa League quality footballer. I just, I just want him in a Villa shirt. I have for years. I, I sign him every year on FIFA. I sign him, you know, whenever I have a Villa save on Football Manager. Love the kid, Valentin Rangier. Nance, look him up. He's he's amazing. What about you? Who would you get if you had a dream signing for Europa League football for the Villa? Oh, I don't know. Um, this is a weird one. It's a really weird one. Um, but I think I think I'd have to go with like Tim Weir, and I know you'll be happy with that because he's American. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think if we were to lose Codger this season, I I would I don't even know if he's on loan anywhere or anything like that, but I would love him to to come to Villa because he fits the mold that that would be left by Codger. But while also, like, uh, meeting some of the things that Wesley and Keenan Davis can do as well. Yeah, I can agree with that. I mean, staying on the the you know you got my mind. I wasn't expecting you to say Tim Weah. I'm not going to lie to you. That that threw me for a little bit of a loop. <laughs> um, but you know, it's keeping up with the uh, American thing. Weston uh, McKinney from Schalke or yeah, Schalke. Yeah, I would I would have. I would have him in a heartbeat just because he's a big body. You know what I mean? Like in the event that, you know, Codge left and we were trying to keep up with that Keenan Davis, Wesley kind of body type, hold up big players. I, I love Weston. I think he's such a talent and he's probably one of the better players in the United States men's side right now. So it's easy for me to say that. Um, if we're talking super unrealistic players that we'd like to get in Europa League, um, I mean, I'm going to, it's, it's going to make me sound like an ass anyway, but I mean, 
Can can you imagine Marcus Rashford in a Villa shirt? <laughs> no. Could you imagine? No, me neither. But could you just for a second, just to see that him with a with a shirt on, the number, the whole, the Rashford, the the you know the fun hairstyle that, that he's rocking this you know this season. Oh man, it's making my heart palpitate just thinking about it. <laughs> if we were to go really, really, really unrealistic, I'd go with. Um, I think I'd go with someone like uh, Insigne. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's a that's a big one. I asked, I asked just you know because we we got these questions earlier before we recorded. I asked one of my other you know massive massive really really good friends of mine. He's a big Villa fan too, and I asked him, and he immediately went Zlatan Ibrahimovic. I was like, you don't want Zlatan at the Villa right now. There ain't nothing going on here that he's gonna want to he's gonna want to partake in. And <laughs> um, I think oh, we've probably got time enough for for one more question. Do you want to read that one out, Mark? Ah, uh, sure. It's from uh, our buddy Karen uh, McCallahan. Uh, that's at Karen O'Call on the t- on the Twitter machine. Uh, so he said, Villa social media, Twitter, and Facebook seems to have gone a bit crazy of late with massive highs and lows, but we have seen some real class from Tyrone Mings using it perfectly to gel the fan base. Can you remember another player that is just fitted in with the club like he has? Uh, for for me, the only player that I can even think of that you know has has fit into a club you know even in a short period of time you know Tyron Mings hasn't really been here long in the grand scheme of things for me it's Robert Snodgrass and I know that Snoddy was only here for a year on loan but he was revered and he was loved by the Villa fan base we were very very sad when he did not return from West Ham um you just didn't hear a lot of negative talk about Snodgrass but he didn't really give the fans anything negative to talk about maybe an awkward cross Maybe him getting beat on a duel on the wide areas and giving up possession a little bit. But, you know, Snodgrass always walked off that pitch absolutely knackered and dripping with sweat. And I think that's the kind of player that Aston Villa supporters really, really, really get along with and really like seeing. But I don't know. What, what about for you? I you, you took the words right out of my mouth, really. I was going to yeah. say Snodgrass as well. Yeah, I just think that there was something there and um, maybe a little bit different. A little bit different financials would have kept Robert Snodgrass at the Villa. I think he was really, really loved and revered here. And I, I mean, in the, in the time that I've been supporting the Villa, I don't know if there's been another player other than the obvious like Jack Grealish, you know. But I, it's got it's got to be Robert Snodgrass for me. Yep, I will agree. And I think that's probably the best time to end this podcast. We've just gone over the fifty minute mark, um, so. And I think we've, to be fair, I think we've covered everything we set out to cover anyway. Um, if you've enjoyed this week's podcast, please give us a follow, a subscription, a like, you know, all that jazz on whatever platform you're listening to. Um, make sure that you follow us on Twitter at Villa Lamp, on Instagram at Under a Gaslit Lamp, on Facebook for slash Under a Gaslit Lamp. And we'll we'll be seeing you pretty soon with some uh, some fresh content. You know we've we've launched a number of new features uh, over on underagaslitlamp.com. Um, so you can find all of those on our social medias or on our website. Um, look out for our complete preview uh, for the Bournemouth game ahead of that match. That'll be at Friday morning, I believe. Uh, as always, big love and up the villa. <laughs>